Good morning, ladies. Oh, did we sleep well? Uh, my Red Warriors. I love them. Have you guys, have you all seen the Red Warriors? My, the ladies in the red sweatshirts, my husband named them last night, the Red Warriors. And so I love the Red Warriors. Well, this morning is going to be a two-part message. This morning will be part one, and we'll conclude with part two tomorrow morning. But this morning, I want to invite you to turn into your Bibles to the, chapter, uh, to the book of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. This is a passage of Scripture that I'm guessing um, most of us have read and heard many times, and there's a lot to be learned from this passage of Scripture. But today, I just want to spend our time focusing on one verse in particular, And so we're going to read this whole passage together, Luke 17, starting at verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Let's pray. Jesus, would you reveal more of yourself to us this morning? Would you increase our faith? Would you give us a deeper understanding of who you are, a deeper understanding of how to love you well and receive your love well? Would you open our ears to hear your voice today? We turn our eyes and our hearts to you, Lord, believing you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. When I was 20 years old, my husband, John, proposed to me. We, some of you you remember, okay, you guys, we had been dating through college. We both went to Azusa Pacific University. John graduated. I was still finishing college, and he got his first job as a worship pastor out of college at First Baptist Church of Lakewood, which is now called Arbor Road. And I just have to pause and say how special it is to be with you ladies. We were so young when we were there. We were fresh out of college. We were babies. And we were young and ambitious. And we had all the confidence in the world with zero experience. And we (laughs) cut our teeth in ministry at Arbor Road. And there are people in this room, Karen Kildew, Lori Crane, there are people in this room that took us in as a young 22-year-old couple and loved us and counseled us and were gracious with us. And so we look on that, that, at that season with so much fondness and gratitude. And so it is so fun to be here with you guys. Um, but we got married in the year 2000 and I love being a pastor's wife and I love serving at the church with John. And about a year after we got married though, something happened for the very first time. And now since this time, 23 years ago, um, in our 23 years of marriage, this has happened lots of times throughout our marriage, but this was the first time it had happened, and basically it's this. John, my husband, consistently hears from the Lord about three to six months before I hear from the Lord. (laughs) 
And so he will come to me and be like, hey, babe, I've been praying, and I just feel like God is saying this. And I'm like, um, yeah, no, I don't hear that. I don't, I don't receive that. Sorry. And he'll be like, oh, oh, okay. Well, I was just letting you know what I feel like I hear God saying. And then like three to six months later, I'll be like, John, you know what? I just feel like God is leading us in this direction. And John's like, welcome. Welcome to the party. I'm glad you're caught up. So we're married one year, and this happens for the very first time. Okay, John comes to me, and he's like, babe, I think God's calling us to something, and I don't know what it is, but I, th- I actually think it's going to require, like, a move and, like, me to leave this job. And I was like, oh, yeah, I for sure don't hear that. And so <laughs> we moved along with our life, and about four months later, I came to John, and I was like, babe, I think that God's calling us to something. And he was like, fascinating. And I was like, but we have to figure it out. Like, what is he calling us to? I just can't hear what. And John said, yeah, no, I'm, I'm hearing the same thing. I actually don't think that we're going to get that answer yet. Like, we're supposed to go, and then he's going to re- reveal what's next. And I was like, well, that doesn't make sense because that doesn't pay the bills. And, <laughs> and so John was like, would you just pray with me about this? And so we began to pray, and it became clear that's what God was asking us to do. So we sat down. We looked at the calendar. John was like, I feel like this Sunday is supposed to be our last Sunday at Arbor Road. I was like, okay. So John went and met with our senior pastor there, explained to him everything. Our senior pastor was so kind and gracious and said, yes, I affirm that in you. However, that last Sunday that you're going to have be your last Sunday, um, I'm actually going to be on vacation. So could you just push it back one week so that I can be there to like do a little send-off party for you? And it was so wild, but John felt so confident in God's specific leading about this one date. And he said, I'm so sorry. I do not want to dishonor your request, but I feel like this Sunday is supposed to be our last Sunday. And so we had that Sunday be our last Sunday and our pastor was on vacation. And the very next Sunday, we had been invited to um, do a concert at a church in San Francisco. And so we were leading worship and singing up there. Well, my parents lived an hour away in San Jose. So we thought, this will be so fun. We'll surprise my parents. We'll pull into their driveway and be like, ah, we're here in the area or whatever. So we pull into their driveway and there's this random car in their driveway. And we're like, oh, that's weird. They have company. So we walk inside and, we, and there's this couple there. And they're like, hi. They're like, we um, are missionaries from Germany. We knew your parents like 20 years ago. And we're here on a break. And we just thought we'd surprise them. And we're like, same. It's so fun. <laughs> and so... We sit down with this couple, and we start talking and sharing life and ministry, and within like 20 minutes, they turn to us, and they say, we need you to come to Germany um, in like three weeks to lead worship for a spiritual emphasis week at a, at a boarding school in Germany. For, like, it's a boarding school for missionary kids in Germany, and we need you to come. And we were like, John and I looked at each other, and we're like, okay, oh, maybe. And they're like, well, do you guys have passports? And we're like, look at each other, and we're like, yeah, yeah. And they're like, John, do you play the guitar? And John and I looked at him and we're like, yeah. He's like, yeah. And they're like, great. Like, let's make this happen, but go, you know, pray about it. And so John and I get in the car, and we're reversing out of the driveway. And we look at each other, and I go, John, we don't have passports. we got to get passports. <laughs> and John looks at me, and he goes, Tiana, i got to learn how to play the guitar. <laughs> and so over the next few weeks, we expedited passports. John taught himself to play the guitar. He played so many hours a day, he cut his fingertips open. He had to super glue them, the skin shut, so we could keep playing. And I just want to pause right here and say, John and I, just from day one, just consistently decided that our decision would be that if we felt confident that God was going to invite us into something, we would say yes first, details later. So in this moment, we said yes to something we did not have. We said yes to something we did not do. And we can chalk that up to being young and dumb. Um, (laughs) Or we could chalk it up to having deep faith 
and the one that we knew would be faithful to complete whatever he asked us to do. And I think, to be honest, we had a little bit of both, okay? We had a young and dumb, deep faith. And so... <laughs> Three weeks later, we found ourselves in Germany. We're leading worship for this conference there. We get a phone call um, from the U.S. military, super random. They're like, hey, we're with the chaplaincy program. We heard you guys were doing a concert in Germany. We're like, yeah. They're like, would you ever come to NATO headquarters and do a concert for us? And we're like, yeah, sure. They're like, when, when, when do you want to come? And this is back in 2001. You've been married a year. We're like, yes. We're in a season of yes. So they're like, we were thinking you guys could come on Tuesday. We're like... <laughs> Oh, let me look at the calendar. Tuesday, September 11th. Yeah, sure. We have nothing going on that day. So we were literally on NATO headquarters on 9-11 doing a concert. We had just shared with them the gospel that there's a God who loves them. And they can live in relationship with him and know they can have spend eternity with him. And all of a sudden, these military heads came in saying America had been attacked. We had to evacuate immediately because NATO was an international target. And we flew home. About two weeks later, we got a phone call from the U.S. military again. They said, hey, you know, hi, friend. I haven't seen you in a while. Hi, Amanda. <laughs> Sorry. You know what you see? You're like, oh, I haven't seen you in years. Hi. Sorry. That was like squirrel. Okay. So, <laughs> um, you know, so the U.S. military calls us back, and they said, hey, you know what you shared at NATO headquarters on 9-11? You shared about Jesus? We're like, yeah. They're like, would you come back to Europe and go to every U.S. military base across Europe and tell them what you told us? Yeah, so we went back and we spent three months in Europe going from military base to military base and sharing the gospel, and every night men and women were raising their hands, making a decision to follow Jesus. We came home and Camp Pendleton said, would you come and do a concert for the Marines? They called us back. Would you come and do a marriage conference for the Marines? We ended up having this incredible ministry with the U.S. military, and we began to travel for about two years just doing concerts around the country. But here's the deal. Had we chosen safety and security over obedience... We would have chosen to stay just that one extra week just to make our ha pastor happy. I'm a nine. I'm like, yes, we will stay an extra week. <laughs> whatever, whatever you want. <laughs> and honestly, if we would have stayed that extra week, we would have actually gotten an extra week of a paycheck, which I, made me feel really good. And John was like, no, 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 this is, this is the day. But had we done that, we never would have happened to be in the Bay Area that next Sunday. We never would have happened to have rolled in my parents' house and met this missionary couple from Germany who invited us to Europe. We wouldn't have been at... NATO headquarters on 9-11, and we wouldn't have the unique ministry that we have with the military for so many years. But that whole experience required two things. God to do his part, and we had to do our part. Ladies, we are partners with God in the story that is being written in our lives. And if we want the life that God designed for us, we have to grab the hand of God and do it with him, not apart from him. So we don't just go, okay, I'm going to go. I hope you bless it. And we don't just sit and go, I hope you make it happen. There is a partnership that is required. Let's read back to that passage out of Luke 17 again. We're going to start at verse 12. It says, as he, Jesus, was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, it's at this part of the story where we get to the final four verses that are coming up. And that's when we usually get to like the meat of the story, right? Where the learning usually begins. Because the moral of the story of the ten lepers has always been gratitude. Ten were healed and only one returned to give thanks. But I want to turn our attention to a short, small verse before all of that. 
Before we learn any of the gratitude part, I think there's this pivotal moment that can shape our posture toward life with Jesus that most of us miss every time we, meet, we read this story. Let's reread that last verse we read. They stood at a distance and in verse 13 and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now this is the posture of faith we talked about last night. Jesus, Master, we put you in your rightful place. We call upon you. You are our only hope. You are our help. We believe that you can heal. We believe you have something for us. You are able. And then here it is, verse 14. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. They asked in faith, Jesus, have pity on us. They're desperate for healing. And does Jesus respond with healing? No, he didn't. Look what, he, look what it says. His response is, go, show yourselves to the priests. But the healing, the miracle hadn't come yet. This doesn't make any sense. Go show what? Go show what to the priests? You haven't even healed us. We look the same. You haven't done anything. You haven't even moved. I can still see leprosy all over my body. I can still see it. Nothing's happened. Does that sound familiar, ladies? God... <laughs> My marriage still looks the same. I still see all the issues we have. My child is still sick. I can still see, God, my bank account is depleted. I still hate my job. I still have tension in that friendship. God, my son is still addicted. I can see him. He's still addicted. You haven't moved yet, God. Things still look the same. But seeing doesn't require faith. Jesus tells them to go, and going requires faith. But it also requires obedience. You see, faith always sees fruit after obedience. We saw it last night, right, with the woman with the issue of blood. She didn't just believe and have faith that this man Jesus could heal her and would heal her, she actually showed up that day. She braved the crowd. She reached out for his robe. You didn't just hear that God meets people in unique ways at Hume Lake Christian Camps. You showed up. And James 2 talks about how our faith and our actions, our obedience, work hand in hand. So if you have your Bibles, turn to James 2. It'll be up in the screams as well. But my mentor sums it up this way. My mentor said, Deanna, you will know that you believe something when you act upon it. You will know you believe something when you act upon it. James chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 20. It says, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see, that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab, the prostitute, considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in different directions? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. There is this partnership 
This co-laboring that happens between faith and obedience or action. They work together. And we see in the story of the ten lepers, Jesus said, go. And it says next, as they went, they were healed. As they went, not before, not with step-by-step directions or promises either. He didn't say, go show yourselves to the priest. I know this sounds crazy because you're like, go show what? But I'm telling you, by the time you get there, you're going to be healed. (laughs) He didn't tell him that. He didn't say, okay, I want you to take 10 steps this direction. You're going to turn right. And when you turn right, you're going to feel a tingling sensation in your fingers. And you're going to look down and be like, what? And it's going to spread throughout your whole body. He didn't tell them that. He didn't offer them clarity. He just offered them an opportunity for healing. And that required faith. And we get so often wrapped up in this need for clarity. The Bible says, though, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's a lamp. It's not a spotlight. It's a lamp. You see a few inches, a few feet ahead. We want sight. We want 10, 20 yards. We want a mile. That's not the faith journey. So we take his lamp to our feet and we take a step and we take another step, believing that his plans are good. And so Jesus says in this passage, go, show yourselves to the priests. Show what to the priests? Well, if you go, (laughs) if you do what I'm telling you to do, you'll see. And so they went in faith, and what happened? It says, verse 14, and as they went, they were cleansed. As they went. Some of you are paralyzed by a situation in your life right now. And God has not answered your prayers yet. And he has not moved. And he has not revealed. And he has not said, this is exactly how this is all going to play out. And you feel stuck. And you feel tired. And you feel depressed. And you feel paralyzed. And sometimes we just want to sit and say, God, (laughs) I'm waiting on you for the healing. (laughs) I'm waiting for the breakthrough. I'm waiting for the provision. Once you do that, then I can move forward. But until then, God, I think I'm in a holding pattern. Like, it's your move, God. Hey, you know, open the door and I'll walk through it, right? We talk a lot about that. God, if you'll open the door, I will walk through it. But maybe we just need to start walking. I wonder if God has your answer and your healing and your provision and your breakthrough waiting for you as you go. As you go, as you go on in your marriage, as you don't jump ship, as you go to counseling, as you go in humility. I have a deep friend walking through a really hard season in her marriage right now, and she says to me, if my husband would just own his stuff, we could get healing and we could move on from this. But until he does that, and I've had to say to my friend, but you haven't owned your part yet. And maybe God's going to unlock something in him and in your marriage once you go to take that step of humility. And you go, why do I have to be the one to go first, right? Why do I have to be the one? Because God loved you first. Because God acted first on your behalf, and so you're going to act first, right? As you go, as you extend love and grace to that wayward child, as you go on showing up for them, as you go on being Jesus' hands and feet, but he's not living how he should live, okay, Perhaps healing is found for your child as you go praying and loving without condition. As you go showing up for life, as you invest in that friendship, as you take that next right step in faith, as you give generously 
He will supply your needs supernaturally. As you go, he will give you what you need, but you have to keep going. And so often, you know, we hear people joke, like, don't pray for patience because then God's going to, you know, test your patience. The reality is, if you pray for patience, yes, most of the time you're given an opportunity to be patient. (laughs) Something that helps you strengthen that muscle. It's not that you're given patience in this overflowing cup of bliss and utopia and you're like, I'm so patient. No, no, no. (laughs) You get given opportunities where patience is what's called for. And you can turn to anger. But patience is what you're invited into. This is how it is with faith. Lord, give me faith. Okay, as you go, as you act upon it, as you believe it, he will give you the opportunity to have faith as you put one foot in front of the other. Now, John and I had that experience when we were newly married and God told us to go in faith. Now, fast forward 20 years, four kids later, a lot of life has been lived, and then all of a sudden hits a time that we all remember 2020 hits, and COVID hits, and everything's shut down, and we're sheltering in place, and we're like, what do we do with our life? And I turned to John, I'm like, babe, let's throw the kids in the van, and let's go take a road trip. And John's like, really? I'm like, yeah, you know, let's just go explore the country. And John's like, okay, let's do it. Let's, let's, go, let's go on a week-long road trip. I was like, oh, that's precious. But I was like, I don't know, I was thinking a little longer. He's like, yeah. Okay, let's do it. Let's, two weeks, let's, let's go. We ended up taking a five-week road trip <laughs> across 34 states. We rented a 15-passenger van. I said, the one thing I will not do is put out fights over space while we drive. So we got a 15-passenger van, threw our, our family in it. And as we were reversing out of the driveway, John turns to me and says, hey, babe, keep your eyes and ears open. What if God wants to move us to one of the places we're about to visit? And I was like, God would never do that to me. (laughs) I'm not joking. And my kids heard the whole conversation. So we all started laughing. Ha, ha, ha. And so it became this joke on our road trip. Every single place we would go, we would say, so could you guys live here? Ha, ha, ha. Would you live here? Well, then one day we're in the middle of our road trip. And John looked at me and he goes, babe, I feel amazing. And I'm like, grab his hand. I'm like, I feel amazing too. (laughs) And he's like, no, no, no. You don't understand. (laughs) He's like, I feel great. I'm not in pain. Now, to rewind our story, um, if you don't know our story, uh, nine years ago, John and I were headed up to this place, Hume Lake, um, to lead worship for a conference. And on the drive up the hill, John started to feel a little nauseous, got a headache. Um, he ended up just like throwing up. And we kept him in Whispering Pines all weekend, even lead worship with me, and um, thought it was the flu. Headed back down the hill, took him to the hospital just to like, get checked out, make sure he was okay. And um, they came in and told us that they had found a massive brain tumor. And they admitted John to ICU immediately, and they said, you're having brain surgery in the next 24 hours. And what happened after that was a lot of things, but what I can tell you is our life has never been the same since. Um, One of the things that they did in surgery was they cut his hearing nerve, and so he could no longer be a worship pastor anymore. And so music's not really part of his life anymore, and it was for 20 years, right? Started with you guys. Another thing that happened, he has some facial paralysis, but um, the thing that he lives with daily is he got what's called atypical trigeminal neuralgia. And it's this nerve pain, and it hits him in his eye, and it's there every day. And if you Google trigeminal neuralgia, you will see it's nicknamed the suicide disease because there's no cure for it, and there's no pain medication that touches the pain. There's nothing you can do. So it would spike at times, and he would be debilitated. And so this was our new normal. And so we had lived with this for years until we went on this road trip, 
and we hit humidity. And John turned to me and said, babe, I feel amazing. Like, I'm not in pain. And I'm like, what in the world? That's crazy. And as we started to wrap up our road trip and we hit New Mexico coming back and the humidity went away and it was dry, his pain came back. And so we got home and we began to think and talk and just go like, what if we could live somewhere and John wouldn't be in pain? Like, would that, is that even a thing? So we began to pray about it. God, is this like, is this real? What do you want us to do about this? We went and talked to our doctors. The neurosurgeon's like, Never heard of that. I don't think that's a thing. I don't even know. But what in your case, you have to find whatever works for you. And if something works for you, go for it. So we began to pray about it more. Okay, what do we do? We went and talked to our mentors. We sat down with Chris and Tiffany. We began to talk to them, and they looked at us, and they were like, John might be able to live somewhere and not be in pain. What are you doing here? <laughs> They're like, go. Well, we just continue to wrestle. God, this is where our family is, extended family, our community, our friendships, our ministry. Are we really going to leave all of that? And so we gathered our kids, and we got onto our knees in our family room around our couch, and we prayed together, and we said, would you guys spend the next several weeks, we're just going to pray about if God is inviting us to move. Well, in the midst of that, John gets a text from our friend in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we had visited them on a road trip. We hadn't seen them in years. We went and visited. We knew one person there, and he texted us and said, hey, if you guys ever consider leaving California, would you let me know first? He's like, I'd love to talk with you. And we're like, cool, we'll let you know. Like, what? We don't tell anyone. Jackson, who at the time was 16, comes to us and he says, hey, I'm praying about this. I just want to let you know I don't want to move, okay? But I just want to say, if we were to move, the only place I would want to possibly move is Charlotte. And we're like, okay, okay, that's good to know. Let's just continue to pray. And we're like, man, what, what would we even do there? Like, what would it look like? We don't have enough of the answers to go. One day, I'm doing dishes in my kitchen, my phone rings, and I'm like, look at my phone. It's this random number. It's a friend of ours. They live in Florida. We haven't seen them in like a year. My friend, I pick up the phone, and she goes, hey, Deanna, this is super random, but like, I just, I felt like God told me to call you. She's like, God has just like put your family on our heart to pray for you guys. So we've been praying for you, and she goes, I saw that you guys went on a road trip over the summer, and I just felt like God told me to call and say, if you're thinking about moving to any of the places you visited, go. Like, you're supposed to go. And I was like, we haven't told anybody this. And she goes, I feel like God just told me to just, like, call you and, like, release you. Like, if that's something you're considering, I don't know. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And so guess what we did? We considered to wrestle. We were like, God, I don't know if we're supposed to go. <laughs> I'm like, I just don't know if I'm hearing. So... <laughs> My son Jackson, after a couple weeks, comes back to us. He's 16 years old. And he has, you guys, I'm just going to tell you, Jackson has a really sweet, um, unique ability to hear God's voice. And he's heard God speak in the past, and it's been a really amazing thing to watch. And so Jackson comes to us, and he said, you guys, I need to tell you something. He said, I am praying about this, if we should move. And he said, and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not hearing God's voice. I don't know. He's not speaking to me. And then he said, but I think you guys are hearing God's voice. And he said, and I trust your ability to hear God's voice. And if God's saying go, we'd be stupid not to go. Here is my son who's like ASB student council leader at his public high school. He leads the Christian club at his public high school. He's a worship leader at his youth group. He's got like I'm not kidding, the dream group of friends, like the solid Christian group of friends. He had the most to lose out of any of us. 
And he goes, you guys, I'm not hearing God speak, but you are, and we'd be stupid not to obey. I mean, don't you guys wish that we always had like a 16-year-old voice talking to us like that? Hey, guys, God's clearly speaking. You're stupid if you don't obey. Like that. <laughs> and so we called our one friend in Charlotte. We're like, okay, we're calling you. You sent that text. Okay, let's talk. He's like, great. Do you want to come on staff at our church? John's like, no, no, I do not. I actually, after 20 years in ministry, I would love to serve the church and be involved in the church and not have it just be tied to my paycheck. I just want to do it out of my love for the church. He's like, great. I'm so connected in the business world out here. Let's start some conversations. So John starts some conversations. His wife calls me. She goes, do not go online and just try to find a house across the country. Just come live with us. And then just like tour houses in person and tour schools in person as God shows you. And so on February 14th, 2021, two years ago, we packed up and we loaded all of our belongings into two U-Haul trucks and we sobbed, saying goodbye to our huge group of family and friends. And we drove across the country to Charlotte, North Carolina. Ladies, do you know how many unanswered questions we had as we went? How many things we were still waiting on the Lord for? John had not officially signed a contract with his new job. That he was in conversations with them, and they kept postponing the signing of the contract. And we were like, really, God? <laughs> like, we've done this whole step of faith thing before. You cannot possibly want us to go and do this again. I even had a friend say to me, don't you feel like you've proved faithful enough times? Why would God ask you to do this again? And yet, we have seen God consistently work in this way with a consistent thread. He honors our faith in action. Do you know when that job contract came? <laughs> as we went, right when we showed up where we were supposed to go. We didn't have a house to live in. You know when we found a house? As we went. We had actually had a, a really hard and traumatic um, experience happen at a church we had served at the year before, and our whole family was kind of in this state of trauma from that experience, and I remember praying, God, we need healing from that before we, before we start anything else, before we lean into anything else, before we get involved in anything else. God, we need healing. Do you know when God brought the healing? <laughs> As we went, as we went, as we showed up in our new church, as we leaned in, as we pressed on, as we continued to serve, as we leaned into new relationships, we were like, Lord, our kids have been serving in ministry here and they have mentors here. You know when our kids found mentors <laughs> and opportunities to serve as we went? He had waiting for them in Charlotte, something that is beyond what we could have hoped or dreamed for our kids. The investment and ministry opportunity and pouring out into them from godly, wise mentors. We said, God, you cannot possibly ask us to move across the country from our family. Our family is everything to us. My littles, I have two, my younger, our, our kids are 18, 16, and then 11 and 10. Specifically, my littles are very connected to John's mom. She's helped us and watched the kids as we serve in ministry. I'm like, Lord, how would you call us to move away from them? You know when God provided family for us? <laughs> as we went, we pulled into Charlotte, called his parents to say, hey, we got here safely. And his parents just said, you're never going to believe this. We told you that, you know, we're staying in California forever. We're staying here. We love it. God has called us to put our house in the market. And we're coming with you. His parents now live 15 minutes down the road from our house. We were like, but Lord, you have provided for us through people in California. You have blessed us through so many people that know us and they know our story and they know our needs. And no one knows our story or our needs there. God, how are you going to provide? 
How are we going to do this? Can I just tell you just last week, I broke a tooth. <laughs> and I had to go to the dentist. And I didn't have a dentist established there. And so I went to this new dentist. And I knew she was a Christian. And so we're sitting there. And she goes, and she goes, I just have to tell you something. It's like really expensive, what I have to do. And I'm like, oh, that's okay, cool. That's so fun. And she goes, I'm so, I mean, she was like stumbling. She goes, I'm so sorry, but I just have to tell you it's going to be $6,040. I said, okay, and she goes, do you want to make the appointment now? And, and, and I said, you know what, let's make the appointment. I said, God always provides. God's faithful, he'll provide. And I made the appointment. It's 8.30 at night, the night before my dentist appointment. And I get a text from my dentist. I don't know her. She texts me, hey, Deanna, I know your appointment's in the morning. I've been thinking about you ever since, we, you know, since I met you at your appointment last week. When I told you the amount, you said that God would provide. And she said, you know what? You were right. She said, God provided. She said, I'm going to do this whole thing at no cost. <laughs> what? Like, God was like, oh, you think you're worried about that? Done. Oh, you think I can't provide that? Done. As you go, I will provide your needs. This calling to go without the ability to know is not an isolated incident, though, with the lepers in the Bible. And we see it all throughout Scripture. In Hebrews 11, there's this passage of Scripture. And you can turn there if you want. We're going to have it on the screens as well. There's this passage that's often called in the Christian community. It's called the, the Hall of Faith, like the Hall of Fame, but for, for the Christian version. You know how we do that? Like, you go have coffee at Hebrews Coffee. You know? <laughs> I was checking out the Christian bookstore, and they had, they had, like, pepper, they had like mints. They were called testaments. Okay, so this is what we call the hall of faith because it lists out so many amazing followers of Jesus who acted in faith. Let's just look at a few excerpts from this passage. Hebrews 11, chapter 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as such unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Noah began building a boat with no visible sign of a flood. In fact, some scholars believe that until the flood, water had never actually come from the sky before. So not only was he to believe that there was going to be enough water to all of a sudden cover the entire earth, he was supposed to believe that water was just going to fall from the sky. He had no box to put that in. And yet he made it in faith. The Hall of Faith continues highlighting people like Abraham, Jacob, Moses' parents, Rahab the prostitute, I want to pause right there. If you ever think, no, 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 I've gone too far. I've done too much. There's no way God would honor my faith. My faith can't make a difference. There's no way God would show up for me. The beautiful part is that in a society back then that was very male-dominant and shame-driven, we see the name of Rahab the prostitute among this like top 10 list in the hall of faith for their faith. We think we are disqualified and unworthy, but in God's economy, he says, I can use anything and anyone. Be encouraged. And the hall of faith goes on and on, listing name after name. Jump to verse 32. It says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised to them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of faith, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to fight. Where did they become strong? In battle. Not before the battle. In the battle. As they went, God made them strong. 
Many of you are in battle right now. And you know what it feels like to be made strong in battle. How many of you ever had someone say to you, oh my goodness, wow, I could never go through what you're going through. You're so strong. And you're like, I'm not strong. I'm a mess. I'm a hot mess. But God is giving me what I need as I need it for this battle. He is faithful. Amen? If he calls you to it, he will see you through it. It's cliche. It sounds cliche because it rhymes, but it doesn't matter because it's true. As we go, he will. Ladies, may we be encouraged this morning because so many of us are fighting battles. Maybe you're fighting battles, physical battles, emotional, relational, mental, financial. Some are sitting in this room hanging on by a thread and it seems hopeless and overwhelming and the evidence is not there to spur you on that things are going to get better, but sometimes the evidence is not in what is seen but in what is unseen. Because this calling to go without the ability to know is not a foolish decision. It's not a call to foolish decisions. Because when we're called to go by the one we know, I know it rhymes, but I I still like it. When we're called to go by the one we know, we can act in obedience and in confidence. God is faithful. He is for you. He is able. We know this about him. He goes before you. He goes with you. And you keep going, not in your own strength, but you go in the strength that he gives you. He will not give up, so you don't give up. Stay in it. Stay in the fight. Don't quit. Some of you are thinking of quitting right now. You're thinking of quitting a marriage. You're thinking of quitting a relationship, a friendship. You're thinking of quitting on a dream that you've had and you're letting fear keep you from an opportunity. I want to let you know that God does some of his best work as you go, as you take your next right step. Why did Jesus instruct the lepers to go? Show yourselves to the priests. Why did he send the lepers to the priests? Because the priests were the ones who would verify that they had been fully clean and healthy and had been cured, which would then reintegrate them back into society. Until that time, they were excluded from participation in community. But when he sent the lepers to the priests, Jesus is giving them an opportunity to reconnect with loved ones, with a career, to resume a normal worship, Ladies, the instruction of Jesus was one of compassion. It's always one of compassion. Jesus wants wholeness for us. He wants wholeness for you. He wants healing for you. He wants to use you. He wants to see you walk in your true identity. He wants shalom, things as he designed them, things as they should be. And he's always wanting to reconcile us back to himself. He's always working it all together for our good. So maybe today, maybe today in this afternoon, sometime before you get off the hill, maybe you need to sneak off by yourself and just spend some time with Jesus. Just, maybe you need to just start with a prayer. If you need a prayer, here's a prayer to pray. Lord, would you give me today my daily bread? The bread meaning this is what I need today. That's your prayer. Lord, would you give me just what I need today, just what I need to keep going? Our Father in heaven, Abba, Papa, your name is so great. Would you give me what I need? I will act. I will follow because I know you will provide. 
Maybe you need to sneak away today and you need to just, maybe you need to write a letter. Maybe there's a relationship that you need to courageously step into with love and with grace, maybe even bringing up some things you've been avoiding. Maybe you need to step into forgiveness. Maybe there's a letter that you need to write to someone that you're going to take back home and you're just going to read to them in person. And that's your next right step. Just, I want to encourage you, go after it. I don't, I don't want to give too many examples because it's not prescriptive, right? It's just like Jesus desired healing and wholeness for the lepers that day, and he desires healing and wholeness for you and me. And I want to encourage you to go on the journey and find out how he wants to make you whole. Ask him. Sit in it with him. Allow him to speak. Allow him to meet you there. I am confident he will. He will give you what you need. And he will give you um, the strength. He will grace you with the strength you need to take your next step. And the next one, it's not a burden. It's an act of obedience that brings freedom. The lepers found freedom as they obey. It's not a I have to, it's I get to. I get to. There's no striving. There's no working to meet the mark. It's just surrender and obedience. God, I trust you and I want to partner with you. I want to grab your hand and go with. Oh, ladies, may we have the faith to believe that the very thing that we are praying for and that we're believing for just might come to fruition as we go. Amen? Amen.